Welcome to this episode of Influx, a technology and policy podcast by the Center for Internet and Society. In 2012, after the rape and murder of a young woman in Delhi, the security of women quote unquote has been a mainstay of politics in delhi and uh, perhaps the country at large in 2015 when the aam aadmi party rode into power in the delhi assembly elections they had promised the installation of cctv cameras throughout delhi and now thousands have been installed in delhi and about 100000 more are going to be installed as per the chief minister of delhi Here I am with Ambika Tandon and Ayush Rati, who've written a fascinating uh, paper studying how the CCTV program in Delhi is being implemented, and the paper is called "The CCTVization of Delhi: Capturing Gender and Class Inequities." And this paper is available for reading at uh, as a working paper on the website of the University of Manchester and also on the CIS website. Uh, welcome, Ambika and Ayush. Hi, Gurshabad. Thanks for having us, Guru Shabad. Before we uh, sort of delve into the paper, do you want to quickly introduce yourself? So I'm Ambika. I'm uh, a policy officer at CIS and have been working here for the past two years on um, topics that are at the intersection of gender and technology. And uh, Ayush and I have been working on. Uh, have spent the past year working on a project that's studying the. Uh, platformization of domestic work as part of the feminist internet research network a bit similar uh, ambika already mentioned about the work that we've been doing for the past year i'm a lawyer by training but perhaps uh, not by disposition mm-hmm. currently <laughs> we are also uh, doing a project on reproductive health and uh, welfare systems of the state perhaps you could give uh, some more context about what you study so i think the starting point for the paper was that cctvs are becoming uh, sort of the norm in public spaces across cities uh, in the global south and that includes india as well and delhi uh, at that point with the aam aadmi party coming into power uh, started to make claims about uh, becoming one of the most uh, one of the cities that would have the largest networks of uh, cctvs and um this is in line with the the growth of other video based surveillance tools as well facial recognition systems being uh, one of the latest uh, with all of the hype around it and i think uh, what we wanted to do was go back to uh, cctvs as a network which uh, all of this emerging tech will be built on top of we started field work for the paper in uh, june last year and uh, we spent about 2 months uh, interviewing stakeholders across delhi so we wanted to pl- primarily see how women in who are using public spaces perceive cctvs does it uh, enhance their feeling of safety and security and was that with the uh, perspectives of other stakeholders that own and con- uh, the systems that are running across the city so that includes private players that includes uh, market welfare associations resident welfare associations and of course uh, law enforcement 
the um, delhi metro railway corporation and uh, government officials across a number of departments so we interviewed people across the municipal corporations across uh, public works department and uh, as well as uh, in other uh, government ministries as well and uh, the idea was to see how they perceive the uh, manner in which uh, cctvs are enforcing any level of safety and security for uh, citizens generally and women in particular perfect and i i think what we can do is perhaps go stakeholder by stakeholder and i'm really fascinated by the the state angle to this and of course you interviewed so many people who work in governmental agencies across departments and ministries so could you tell us about a what these state actors are thinking in terms of what the purpose of the program is what they think about privacy concerns that people might have raised and also about their general perception of how this program is working out so on the point of uh, privacy concerns i think uh, it's safe to say that uh, they almost never came up and uh, it was dismissed as an idea even of uh, having any level of privacy in uh, public spaces so it uh, is sort of the norm or a contract that you're in with the government where uh, if you enter a public space then you will be under some level of surveillance and that's uh, totally acceptable but in terms of the functions of the surveillance system itself there were uh, several different uh, use cases that came up so going back first to the question of uh, women's safety we were tracing um, the expenditure under the nirbhaya fund because uh, that's uh, again one of the starting points of the paper was that uh, some of the a large chunk of the money under the nirbhaya fund was allocated for purchasing cctvs in delhi and uh, after filing some rtis as well as speaking to uh, the government officials that were uh, responsible for the allocation of the fund we found that um, they had initially decided to purchase some cctvs under this fund but that later uh, the idea was dropped and um, at the point at which we were doing the interviews in june last year there there was actually no purchase of cctvs under the fund at all and uh, interestingly the uh, government official at the uh, women and child welfare ministry said that it's not a tool for prevention at all uh, they did not think that uh, it would lead to any level of prevention of crimes against women so they had decided to not allocate any of the funding to um, cctv cameras this uh, again was only at that point and we later have found other uh, later notifications that did want to allocate some funding towards this so that might have changed but that was the thinking at that point i see and uh, what i found interesting in the paper is that when it comes to the state actors they all have different perceptions of what the purpose of the cctv cameras is what was fascinating was that for example the police department which is tasked with solving women and child crimes had no role to play in the project at all yeah absolutely they had uh, no idea about uh, any of the they, they had no numbers they had no uh, information to give us at all about uh, the way in which the delhi police was using cctvs they did speak about the himmat app uh, which can be downloaded on phones is basically a safety sos kind of app and uh, that they were uh, in charge of but they had they had no information to give about cctv systems 
marketing. It's really useful to contrast this with how the program is advertised, which is as, uh, you know, prevention of crime. And uh, internally, some uh, officials have realized that it's not contributing towards that goal at all. Yeah, I think uh, this was actually a finding that came up across uh, interviews uh, insofar as a number of the officials, I would say a majority uh, did not believe that CCTV systems contribute towards prevention at all. Um, when we asked about uh, what they use it for or the general usefulness of uh, having CCTVs, they said that that's, uh, it's primarily for solving crimes. And uh, within that, largely those of uh, theft, property crimes, as well as road accidents and things like that. But um, crimes against women did not come up as uh, one of the primary uh, reasons, at least. And prevention was uh, not something that a majority of the uh, officials had any level of belief in. That's a useful stepping point to how uh, private actors are involved in the CCTV program in Delhi. And from a distance, it might or uh, to me, initially, it seemed like the CCTVs in Delhi were planned as a centralized exercise where the Delhi government or the police will be exercising uh, most control. But uh, what I learned through the paper is just the sheer extent of how many private actors are involved in it, especially resident welfare associations and market welfare associations. Could you uh, talk about the involvement of these private actors? Yeah, absolutely. Um... In, in fact, uh, there's an explicit acceptance of the role that private actors have had to play in the uh, ubiquitousness of CCTVs. The one thing that kept coming up was what they were calling the Negev Band scheme. So, yeah, it, it, it loosely translates into the all-seeing eye kind of a thing. And this was intended to be... I mean, you could call it a PPP model in some sense of the word, but it, basically all of the CCTVs that were installed by the Delhi police in conjunction with the CCTVs that were uh, installed by private actors would then be um, centralized and have a sort of panopticon kind of a place, a, a room in the uh, Delhi, Delhi police headquarters through which each of these CCTV cameras could be tapped into. So, I mean, in fact, uh, there was about, um, from bit- between 2010 and 2018, only about 5,000 CCTV cameras had been installed by the Delhi police. But like sort of anecdotal evidence and newspaper reportage indicates over two, two, 2.2 lakh CCTVs uh, that would be brought within the ambit of the Negevon scheme. So, it, in fact, if it makes... It especially pertinent to look at private actors and the two private actors who we thought were most responsible for uh, the installation of CCTVs were both um, commercial spaces and apartments. And these uh, were organized in many ways by resident welfare associations. They they organized the uh, installation of CCTVs within their sort of zip codes and uh, similarly with market welfare associations. The most interesting point part is in what areas are CCTVs installed and who they are installed for. So on the one hand, in in the marketplace, for example, a key, a key use that was expressed was that of uh, managerial surveillance and not safety as such. So they wanted to have, uh, to be able to track uh, stock, to be able to track workers, 
uh, when the when the proprietor or the owner was not around and these were mostly inward facing cctvs with uh, and this is pertinent because only at a later stage uh, was was this install was there was uh, was there sort of an ex- explicit uh, uh, expression by ma- market welfare associations to these private est- establishments about installing a forward sort of a road facing camera and this was also under the instruction of the delhi police uh in the resident welfare association you see a different use for uh cctv so on the so one use that uh, that cctvs are often put to is to exert the same to exert managerial surveillance again but this time over domestic workers and uh other other workers from low or um, low middle income classes who enter the household or the sort the premises around and this is um this also points towards a, a a scary trend almost where access to public space is then mediated along uh, class lines and then along caste lines in the indian context as well so uh it w- it was the case that uh, you would find cctv cctvs would be especially prevalent in sort of middle class upper middle class and upper class uh, residential areas but at the same time the ubiquitousness of cctvs did not extend to uh, the residents welfare association of a licensed slum that we had visited haridas camp which also yeah where the perpetrators of the heinous rape in december of 2012 uh, were from and that is and in the in that slum there was no there was uh, there, there was an express articulation of the need for for cctv installation by the state and this is this is interesting because on the one hand cctvs are designed to uh, surveil over those who are considered uh, deviant or the uh, by the landed class yeah. and uh, at the same time uh, and they then resist that surveillance in those spaces but at the same time they express uh, a need for the for for being able to take control of the surveillance in the areas where they where they live in and this is and articulated again in the context of not being able to access to uh, access let's say the police in 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 the in the event of there being a crime in the crime in the slum so they want they they hope that uh, cctv footage would um, let the law would let law enforcement take their concerns more seriously and so it's very interesting how we cannot have like one overarching framing of surveillance is bad but we need to look at how these tools of surveillance can be appropriated and are resisted by the same people uh in the paper you also mentioned that uh, and you mentioned it briefly right now as well which is that poorer sections of the la- landscape such as slums were basically not having a cctv camera so one might be tempted to think of the simple thesis which is that the state turns its surveillance cap- capacity towards the marginalized but here what we see is the state partnering up with the affluent and the serving their surveillance needs the consequences of course that these private actors are also directing their capacity in terms of surveillance to the people who are marginalized based on class or caste yes precisely so um 
we did find that uh, at that point when we were uh, carrying out the interviews a large network like we said was owned by private actors and that expressly meant that uh, people who were not of uh, their socio economic uh, classes who were coming into uh, gated societies or uh, popular marketplaces uh, like sarojini nagar where we carried out some of our interviews were uh, under surveillance and women in these uh, localities also expressed the desire to have uh, cctvs and interestingly some of the uh, interviews reflected a level of uh, distrust that the police had placed uh, upon them and they thought that uh, in some cases cctvs might be able to help with uh, countering that distrust so uh, some uh, hawkers and other women in um, central delhi and the area near sarojini nagar talked about how uh, it would be useful to have more cctvs just because then they would have evidence of their innocence because every time there's a crime uh, the police comes and beats them up wow so you found that uh, even the responses from uh, the women you interviewed who ostensibly the program is most meant for also uh, sort of different uh, based on the act, uh, where they were on the axis of class yeah absolutely i think uh, the two pertinent uh, things to be looked at there are uh, either if the person themselves is considered deviant um in so far as uh, their presence in public spaces is concerned or if they are carrying out an activity which is deviant so um the two kinds of people who uh, expressed uh, any level of uh, distrust in the police or uh, in surveillance systems were uh, either uh lower class women or uh women who were out with their boyfriends for example um or were uh, protesters or undertaking activities that uh, they thought might bring some kind of backlash from the police and uh apart from that uh i think a majority of the women that uh, we spoke to were in support of such, such systems and actually wanted uh more uh, surveillance to be uh, in place in delhi and um, they of course preferred uh, in person uh, if there if there could be more cops on the streets for example but uh, they did say that they at least they did not have any express uh, objection to having more cctvs in place yeah i would also like to add that the support for uh, cctvs needs to be qualified because uh, this was also coming up in the context of an information vacuum where a lot of respondents were under the assumption that each uh, if not most cctvs were being uh, had a manual operator behind them and that in the event of let's say an ongoing violation or a crime there would be an immediate response that would be triggered by the manual operator behind these cctvs but the fact of the matter is that about i don't know 1 to 2% of all cctvs are regularly monitored and these two so for example in the at the dmrc uh, there is a uh, a centralized monitor, monitoring team that uh, is sort of looking looking at real time footage of cctvs in sort of in two shifts however even the footage that they are viewing in uh, from the from the cctvs is randomized so there would be about 
uh, sort of thumbnails from different CCTVs uh, across the DMRC network, which is which is absolutely enormous. And uh, so again, so just the point that I was trying to make is that this information vacuum led to this uh, widespread, support, widespread support for CCTVs. And um, however, this is something that law enforcement is astutely aware of. So, and as Ambika had mentioned earlier, that uh, th- there was in, in, increasingly it was mentioned that we want to sort of in, uh, that law enforcement wants to enhance these capabilities of being able to monitor more footage or at least automating this process itself. So in many ways, again, it speaks to the function creep uh, that was uh, that we spoke about earlier, that they realized that the CCTVs are insufficient for their purposes. And then uh, the response to that is to add an experiment with uh, quote-unquote new, newer emerging technologies such as AI-based systems and so on. I see. And continuing on this uh, sort of information asymmetry that exists, were women that you interviewed aware that, for instance, the private actors that are involved in the program also have access to the footage that is being collected? Um, so I think uh, to say that they're aware of any specific uh, stakeholder would be incorrect, largely because respondents just did not know where uh, the CCTVs are placed, who owns them, who runs them. Uh, there was a general idea that if it's outside a store, then it's probably owned by that store, but uh, it could be a law enforcement owned as well. So there was just no information about Uh, the systems at all. In fact, in a lot of cases, uh, because I mentioned CCTVs, people assume that I'm asking about such things and just uh, brushed off having participating in the uh, interview at all. They said that they have no information about this and they rarely use public spaces. So um, they, they won't want to talk about it at all. Just continuing a little bit on that thread, this is uh, some officials expressly articulated the need for covert surveillance. So for, for them, it was, there was, uh, uh, and this was especially in response to the question about, um, so as Ambika mentioned earlier about how privacy uh, was uh, often dismissed as being, as being unavailable in the public space. So one um approach that we used to call out more perspectives around privacy was um, by phrasing questions on the provisioning of boards that indicate surveillance being uh, also boards indicating ongoing surveillance. And some officials expressly stated that this, they felt that this was unnecessary as uh, surveillance should be covert and hidden and intimating sort of the public about surveillance was actually counterproductive. So the the point then is that uh, if, if if this is the sort of culture in which CCTV installation happens, then the then lesser information is desired by those surveilling, and then this information vacuum gets uh, sort of heightened and, and gets amplified with sort of each uh, decision that is made. The next thing I was wondering about is the the right you mentioned, which is the right to disengage from surveillance system. What I found fascinating was that only sort of one stakeholder in this was mentioned to be having this right. Could you uh, expand on that part of the page? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, we thought it was uh, very telling that the only uh, point at which uh, even the right to privacy uh, organically came up in an interview with law enforcement without us having to bring it up was in the context of politicians in Delhi. So uh, this was with senior law enforcement, Delhi police officials uh, in central Delhi. And uh, while talking about CCTV systems that are placed on the routes of uh, where politicians are traveling to um, events or, or not just politicians, but senior bureaucrats as well, everyone who populates Latians Delhi, basically, um, they were of the opinion that um, they have a right to privacy and therefore uh, all of the CCTVs that are installed on their route are later uh, removed so that people are not able to keep a constant check on uh, their who is visiting their homes, for example, or uh, where they are moving about in general. So privacy is an elitist concept, but that's by design. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just wanted to mention this another fascinating aspect, which is what you call turning the gaze inwards uh, and the installation of CCTV cameras in government offices itself. Uh, how do you think that is changing uh, state affairs? Yeah, um, that was uh, quite an interesting aspect as well. They uh, We found out that this was because of a Supreme Court uh, order in uh, 2014, which uh, mandated the uh, installation of CCTVs across police stations um, in the city. And uh, so CCTVs were placed uh, on uh, the jail cells as well. So uh, you could see in a lot of cases that uh, and, the, and screens for these uh, were installed in in places where they could be publicly viewed. So this did actually enhance uh, justice in our opinion. And uh, I, I think that was, again, uh, sort of contextual because um, the manner in which this system was being treated was very important. So in some cases, we found that only senior officials have access to um, the screens and the footage and is therefore uh, not it's not downstream at all. It's not bringing in any. Um, public viewing or public transparency at all. In some cases, uh, this footage uh, was expressly being used to prove the innocence of uh, government officials in uh, false cases of uh, sexual harassment or uh, atrocities against uh, scheduled cards, castes and scheduled tribes. So um, we found that this uh, the particular manner in which the system manifested itself on that site was very important. Uh, so the people who were able to view these uh, screens and the and who would be able to easily access the footage, if that included members of the public, then that did enhance access to justice. But uh, if not, then it was uh, completely counter to uh, the purpose for which it had been installed in the first place. Awesome. Thank you. And I, I think before we end, I just wanted to uh, thank you and zoom out and pick your brains about two questions at uh, large about this program, perhaps. The first question is, of course, of uh, legality. Uh, and as you mentioned, even though privacy uh, came up rarely in the discussions that you had uh, with your interviewees, the Supreme Court affirmed the right to privacy in 2017 and uh, Specifically, they laid out tests for whether any surveillance program or invasion into privacy is constitutional or not. And could you briefly discuss the sort of legal backing this pro program has, if any? 
So uh, there were the CCTV rules that were passed by the Delhi government to legitimize the installation of CCTVs, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, they were never published. But um, for but one hour, WA that we uh, interviewed had a copy of the rules and were sort of brandi- um, brandishing it about as the legal document that was backing the the pervasive installation of CCTVs within the RWA. And those rules do mention privacy, but that's what they leave it at. In the context of Puttaswami, one, yeah, where the right to privacy was yeah, um, uh, articulated as a, as a fundamental as a fundamental right, it in, in my opinion, it wouldn't stand the test of uh, the three-pronged test that uh, that was laid down um but there were sort of interesting uh, uh, there were lots of interesting aspects to um uh, uh, in the judgment that would uh, that are important to sort of bring out one is about how privacy is intrinsically linked to dignity and then extended to to the public space as well so this is quite significant as it does not understand privacy in a restrictive spatial manner as uh, has been originally expressed in the case of American jurisprudence where a lot of privacy discourse is borrowed from but it um, by, by focusing on individual autonomy and dignity it it enables a certain kind of uh, agency that in the granting of privacy both in terms of positive and negative liberties to and by the state. Uh, however, uh, that is my personal opinion. But if the Aadhaar could pass master, then uh, with the CCTV program as well, it would be a classic case of it being too late to do anything about the program, considering how pervasive and normalized it is. And um, it has reached a point where it's almost treated as a necessary part of of protecting your land, perhaps. So too many resources have, have been expended on it. The CCTV program probably would still pass muster in a court of law, but my interpretation of the judgment would be that um, the program uh, should be stopped and um, or, or maybe sort of altered in terms of making an opaque state more transparent and not citizenry more transparent to an opaque state. That's nicely put. Uh, lastly, you know, we discussed how most people, uh, are, most citizens and women are supporting the CCTV program, albeit for different reasons. Uh, if we're sort of to analyze the situation from what Puko said about the disciplining power of the case, do you think uh, uh, people uh, in interviews sort of admitted that they're behaving differently in public spaces because of the installation of CCTV cameras? Um, yeah, I think that's an inter- interesting question. Um, insofar as uh, the general uh, shifts in behavior were concerned, um, people did not expressly uh, say that there was change in behavior unless, uh, like I said earlier, they were undertaking activities that they thought um, would bring the ire of the uh, either the police or uh, was in terms of dominant culture of uh, the sort of behavior that is acceptable um, in the public spaces of Delhi were performing something that they thought would be uh, deviant. So 
we can also uh, then look at a kind of uh, with different occupations so sex workers for example um were uh, put under surveillance by uh, not just the police but actually more so by other women in the area who thought that uh, their presence in public spaces brings more uh, scrutiny and brings ob- uh, makes men objectify them uh, as well and so they wanted uh, more cctvs to be put in those areas where um these sex workers are placed and then uh, to try and police their behavior uh, so in terms of change of behavior i think it was uh, mostly uh, where there would be a harm uh, because of the visibility if that harm was felt then there was definitely uh, people expressed either changing their behavior or uh, expressed uh, some kind of uh, objection to the surveillance system but by and large uh, people said that these are activities that they perform anyway in public spaces so they didn't really care on that uh, rather somber note uh, we'll end for now please uh, read ambika's and ayush's paper uh, the cctvization of delhi it's a fascinating read any last thoughts ambika and ayush um just uh, maybe one two lines um and that is especially in the context of surveillance systems broadly and all i would like to say is that uh, and this is something that we came across several times both in um newspaper reportage uh, reports in um expressing support for the cctv program and so on was that cctv's work um all i want to say is that we need to problematize the word works and complete the sentence and ask for who thank you ayush that's uh, that's an important question and very well put thanks ushabha thanks for, for hosting us. us yeah this episode was produced by the folks at the center for internet and society intro music fish attack by alpha hydrate outro music palette de will Bye, we quit. <laughs>